All right, praise the Lord. How are we doing? Can you hear me? All right. Isn't it good to be at the college conference? Huh? Saturday night. Where would you rather be, huh? Is there anywhere else you'd rather be? Maybe just a few rows closer. That's all, right? College conference Saturday night. Um, What a good time to enjoy Christ, right? What a good time to enjoy Christ. My name's Chris Hall. I serve full-time with Christian students here in Austin at the University of Texas. And um, I met our club way back when, when I was a freshman. I started coming to these college conferences, and I'm glad I'm still here. What a mercy from God. I'm still here. (laughs) Praise the Lord. So from the jump tonight, I want you to know where we've been and where we're going, okay? If you can hang, if you can hang with me for about the next seven minutes, you're going to get the whole thing. I want you to know where we've been and where we're going, and then we're going to go, okay? So to pursue Christ, that's message two, we need to have a vision of Christ. To pursue Christ, we need to have a vision of how excellent He is. That's message one. And if we want to gain Him, experience Him, this is what's on the front of your packet. If we want to gain Him and experience Him, we need to apply Him in our daily life, okay? That's what tonight and tomorrow morning is going to be on. If we want to pursue Him, we need to see Him. And if we want to gain Him and experience Him, we need to apply Him in our daily life. Here's the the issue, though. Here's the issue. Applying Christ in our daily life, that is, experiencing Him, applying Him in our daily life involves doing very practical things. We're going to talk about very practical things tonight. It involves doing very practical things, but we won't do those that much, that consistently, that solidly, unless we see first that this is at the heart of the reason for all creation. We won't won't apply Him in our daily life. We won't do the necessary practical things that much, that consistently, that solidly, unless we first see that this is at the very heart of the reason for all creation. Okay? I don't know if you know this, but God has a purpose. Did you know that? God has a purpose. God has an eternal purpose. That means there's something in His heart that He's been doing all along. This is the big why. You want to talk about the big why of the whole universe? How about we just talk about something just maybe a little bit important here tonight, right? Talking about the reason for all creation. Is there something in God's heart that He's been after, He's been doing all along? The answer is yes. And I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to take God's word for it, okay? So we're going to get into some some verses. The answer is yes. And at the heart of God's eternal purpose is a process in which He distributes His Son to us again and again and again. At the heart of God's eternal purpose is a process in which He distributes His Son, the one in whom He finds His delight, to us again and again and again. And uh, just a, a little, um, just a little spoiler alert. This process is really, really enjoyable. It's enjoyable. It's the best. He in whom the Father finds His delight. This is the one that He gives to us again and again and again. This process is the best. There's nothing better, brothers and sisters. I like to bring to you good news of great joy tonight. God would like to preach the gospel to you. How about that? God would like to preach the gospel of joy to you tonight. And and the gospel message is three words. I hope you remember it for the rest of your life. I hope you see it on the back of your eyelids when you fall asleep. It's this. Jesus is better. Say that. Oh, how about like you actually mean it? Jesus is better. Do you believe it? Jesus is better. You know what? He's better than all the evil things. He's better than all the evil things. He's better than pornography. He's he's better. He's better than debauchery. He's better than drunkenness. He's better than fornication. And I want to tell you what. He's better than the good things, too. 
He's better than that perfect 4.0. He's better than that, that great career that my parents always dreamed for me. He's better than the perfect spouse. He's better than everything. Jesus is better. And I hope that this wouldn't just be a kind of phrase that you have on your lips and maybe you put on a t-shirt. I hope that it would be your reality and what you live and breathe every day for the rest of your life. Amen. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is better. Amen. Jesus is better. Amen. Jesus is better. I hope you taste this. I hope you taste this. At the heart of all creation is God distributing His Son to us again and again and again. And this process is the joy of all joys. It's the deepest delight. It's the most profound pleasure. It satisfies man and it satisfies God. It pleases man and it pleases God. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? The joy of all joys, the deepest delight, the most profound pleasure, and our experiencing that all depends on what we see. It all depends on what we see. So here's my question for you. What vision do you have from God's Word? What kind of vision do you have from God's Word? Do you have a vision that, that controls you, that compels you to live a certain way in your life? What kind of vision do you have from God's Word? You know, we're, we're not so burdened that you would have a few biblical views that you hold. You know, somebody can ask you some questions and you can, you can respond with a few points. We're not so concerned that you would have a biblical view that you hold. We're much more concerned that you would have a vision from the Bible that holds you. We're much more concerned that you would have a vision from God's Word that holds you. It grips you. It compels you. You want to go this way, and actually you just can't. You're down and out. You're ready to give up. But the vision, you've seen too much, it won't let you go. And again and again, it brings you back to the highest delight, the joy of all joys. It brings you back to God's eternal purpose. Brothers and sisters, this is what we want for you. This is what God, Almighty God, wants for you. And it depends on what you see. Seeing depends on us having a proper heart that can see. This is not the kind of thing we see with the eyes of our head. It's the kind of thing we see with the eyes of our heart. And that necessitates us, our heart being in a proper condition. And when we have a match between God's eternal purpose and our heart, then it causes us, it compels us to do really practical things that deliver to us, us and God, mutual satisfaction. How's that sound? Did you like that? Okay, let's get into this outline. So what is God's eternal purpose? What's the big why? Why are we here? Why is everything here? Have you ever wondered that? Why is there something and not nothing? Ever wonder that? Why is there something and not nothing? What, what is God's eternal purpose? What's he doing? What's he doing? The Apostle Paul is going to tell us in four verses. Let's read Roman numeral one together. Ready, go. Seeing and maintaining a clear vision of God's eternal purpose. I want to focus your attention on verse 8 and verse 9. Paul's going to tell us that he's doing two things, okay? Number one, he's announcing and he's enlightening. Well, what's he announcing and what's he enlightening? Let's all read verse 8 together. Ready, go. I want you to circle unsearchable riches of Christ. Unsearchable riches of Christ. Circle that. Highlight it. Uh, text it to yourself. This is really important, okay? Unsearchable riches of Christ. What was Paul's gospel? How unsearchably rich Christ was in his person and in his work. Don't read this and think, oh, wow, Jesus has a lot of money. Okay, that's not what it's talking about. 
Christ is rich in His person and in His work. I'll give you an example. Have you ever appreciated the forgiveness of your sins? I sure hope so. You know, maybe if we haven't wept over the blood of Christ, uh, maybe we have some, some lack to make up. I mean, it's precious. It's precious blood. That's one rich. That's one of the unsearchable riches of Christ. Christ is unsearchably rich in his person and in his work. Paul is announcing the unsearchable riches of Christ. What is he enlightening us regarding? Let's read verse 9. Ready, go. Okay, underline, enlighten all. And I want you to circle economy. You might be wondering, what in the world is the word economy doing in the Bible? Okay, the Greek word is oikonomia, which means the best translation is economy. Ah, see, you guys are all Greek professors now. No, I'm just kidding. He wants to enlighten us regarding an economy. I'm going to give you a simple definition of economy, okay? I learned it from the University of Texas. If you don't like it, blame it on them, not on me, okay? Just kidding. Simple definition, write this down. Economy, an economy is a distribution of limited resources. The distribution of limited resources. That's what a normal economy is. It's a distribution of what? Limited resources. So I'll give you an example. Did you know that McDonald's has an economy? You know that? I mean, the U.S. has an economy, but let's make it a little smaller, a little more practical. McDonald's has an economy. What resource is McDonald's distributing? French fries, they are good French fries. They're good French fries wherever you go. But, but I would say mainly hamburgers, okay? McDonald's distributes what? Hamburgers. McDonald's has an economy. What does McDonald's distribute? Brothers and sisters, God has an economy. God has an economy, but here's the thing. He's not distributing something that's limited. God is distributing something unsearchably rich. He's got a resource that is incredible. It's the best. Nothing beats it. You want it. And He's got it. And He wants to distribute something to man. What is He distributing? Christ. Look at the verse before. The unsearchable riches of Christ. You need to draw a line between economy and unsearchable riches of Christ. What's God distributing? God has an economy. What's He distributing? He's distributing the unsearchable riches of Christ, and the more He gets in, the more we get changed in the best kind of way. Christ goes in, and guess what? Christ gets expressed out. The more He comes in, the more we get transformed. And the more we like it, and the more he likes it, okay? God has an economy, and he's distributing to us Christ. Now, what's the point? Why does he, why does he want to do that? that? When you want to know, why does God want to do that? I like it that he wants to do that, but why? Let's read the next verse. Read verse 10 together. Ready, go. In order that, that means he's going to explain, he's going to explain why. In order that, yeah, why would you distribute Christ to us again and again and again? In order that the multifarious wisdom of God might be made known. Multifarious is a, a really cool word that you probably don't use that much. It means multifaceted. Multifaceted. So get the picture here. God's wisdom, which is Christ, God's wisdom is like a multifaceted diamond. And the more you spin that thing, the more incredibly you're impressed. The light beams off of it. There's so many facets to that. In order that the multifarious wisdom of God might be made known through who? The church. Why would, why would God's wisdom be made known through the, through the church? Why would God's wisdom be made known through the church? Because the church is composed of people who are absolutely ruined by sin. Absolutely. 
The church is composed of people who in and of themselves are enemies of God in their mind. And what God did was He took this ruined humanity and He was incarnated to live among them. He lived a sinless human life. He died on the cross. He was resurrected for our redemption and our regeneration. And then He came in as the Spirit and He's been transforming us more and more into His image, adding Himself to us so that we're just like Him, the same as Him, as much as is communicably possible, we're the same as Him. And what happens is, as that process goes on, all of the devil and his angels and the chaotic universe that's in rebellion against God says, whoa, wow. Think about this. Think about this. God took a group of people, that's us, ruined by sin and made us a group of people who love Him and choose Him and obey Him and revere Him and praise Him and exalt Him and who choose Him above all things else in the context of a universe in rebellion against Him. Do you see God's wisdom? Whoa! That happens by Christ being distributed to us. And that is the next verse, according to his eternal purpose. Underline that, eternal purpose. That's what he had going on all along. So how do we practically see? How's that happen? We know we need to see it. We need to be enlightened. How's that happen? It doesn't happen with the eyes of our head. It happens with the eyes of our heart. Let's read, let's read Ephesians 1.18. Ready, go. I want you to write this down. Our heart is composed of our mind, our emotion, our will, and our conscience. Our mind, our emotion, our will, and our conscience. That's what our heart is composed of. Those are the eyes we see God's eternal purpose with. Okay? So God gives light on His side. And on our side, we see... With what? With the thoughts of our mind. With the feelings in our emotions. With the intentions in our will. With our conscience that's been cleansed by the blood of Christ. These are the eyes that we see with. Okay, Our mind, emotion, will, and conscience. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. Sometimes we're looking at the wrong thing. Okay, So let's read 2 Corinthians 3.16. Ready, go. So sometimes the eyes of our heart are veiled, meaning they don't see. They don't see God. They don't see Christ and His eternal purpose. Why? Because they're, they're turned elsewhere. Meaning what? Our thoughts are thinking. We're thinking about something else. Where are your thoughts right now? What are you thinking about? Where's your emotion? Where, where are the affections of your heart steered? You know what's so good about singing is that they direct the affections of our heart in the right place toward Christ. Where are the affections of your heart? What intentions do you have? Where's your will tonight? How's your conscience? Is there something that needs to be cleared up? Dealing with these gives us clear eyes to see God's eternal purpose. So what does a proper heart look like? How do we get that? How do we get a proper heart that sees, right? We need a proper heart to see. We want to make sure that we got one in places and events and spaces like this, right? You feel that? You want a proper heart to see and match God's need? Okay, like five people. Okay. The rest of this message is for you five. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Let's read Roman numeral two ready, together. Ready, go. All right, having a proper heart to see and match God's need, won't won't, big problem, okay? Jeremiah 17, 9, let's read it together. This is man's problem. Ready, go. Deceitful above all things and incurable. 
Who in here has ever thought, you know, I do a few bad things every now and again, but, you know, in my heart of hearts, basically I'm a really good guy. I'm a really good guy, and people like me. People like me, and I like me, and, and God likes me, and, you know. In my heart of hearts, I'm a really good guy. The Bible informs us, actually, our heart is deceitful above all things. You ever, have you ever felt this? You go back and forth between loving God, loving God, loving the good things He's given us, and then you love things that you'd rather not even mention. Ever felt that? Felt your heart go elsewhere. Why did it do that? It's deceitful. It goes back and forth continually. It's man's problem. So God's got to come in and recover it, okay? Man's got an issue. So God's going to come in and recover what's going on on the inside. Let's read Ezekiel 36, 26. Ready, go. Do you need a new heart? Yeah, you do. That's why God gave us one. You know what happens at regeneration when we receive Christ? He does this. Come here, Alan. God does this. Let me take this stony heart that, that's not soft toward me. It has no feelings toward me. No affections toward me. Let me do this. And let me... Let me put a new heart back in there. A soft one that loves me. A soft one that turns toward me. A soft heart that's full of affection for God. That's what God does to us at regeneration. You ever felt that? Some of you have felt that. I felt that when I got saved. Man, whoa! I got different feelings going on inside. I love Jesus! I want to hang out with Christians. What is going on? Some of you have felt this. But you should have this question. Mm, yeah, I've been saved, but still I feel the, I feel the, I still feel the deceitfulness. I, I still feel the pull toward worldly things, evil things, things I'd rather not even mention. You feel that? You should have this question. Okay, God's given me a new heart, but I still feel the, the deceitfulness. What's going on? Man has a problem. God has a recovery. He comes in to recover our inward being, but we still have a responsibility. Man has a responsibility. Let's read Proverbs 4.23. Ready, go. Say, keep your heart. Underline, keep your heart with all vigilance. This is our responsibility. God gives us a new heart, but we still have a responsibility to keep it, to guard it. Our heart is like a garden that we need to keep and guard and cultivate. Meaning what? We need to guard our thoughts. This is about as practical as it gets. What do you allow yourself to dwell on, to think about? Think about it. Think about it. What do you allow your thoughts to dwell on? What do you allow your emotions to run wild with? Think about it. You know, sometimes, sometimes, you know, just something bad happens, and um, sometimes it just feels really good to feel really bad, you know. Oh, man, something went wrong. Something went wrong, and I got that song and that Spotify playlist that just going to, oh... Mm. It, just, it just fits my soul so good. I'm just going to sink. I'm just going to drift into the sinkhole of self. Oh. It knows just how I feel. It feels so good to feel so bad. Huh? What do you allow your emotions to attach to? You've got to guard that. You've got to guard that. You've got to guard that. What intentions do you allow to be formed within you? I don't, I don't know if y'all know this, but I do from experience. Sometimes you're just, um, you know, you're just going down that Instagram feed, those stories, you know, 
And uh, I don't know if you know this, but some intentions can be formed within your heart. Wow. Oh, my goodness. So-and-so got engaged. Woo! I need to pursue, gain, and experience engagement. I need to set my whole being on engagement. Oh! Ring, ring by spring. Ring by spring. Oh, let me set my whole being on get, getting engaged. Oh! Huh? Huh? Now that, now that, that doesn't happen for people my age anymore. I mean, you know, I, I'm kind of at a different age and stage in life. You know, it's more like, oh, wow, I think, I think in order to exist, we, we need a really, really, really nice three cars, I think. <laughs> and maybe that vacation home, I think. You know, I, I just, I'm not sure I can exist without that, that vacation home in Malibu, maybe? You know? <laughs> I've worked really hard. I need that, you know? My family needs that to exist. You know? <laughs> what intentions do we allow to be formed in our heart? That's our will, okay? There was one thing I just I, I just noticed. You know, there was a certain um, sporting event that I would I would watch on Sunday afternoons. And May May or may not have been related to the Cowboys, but anyway. I, I found myself, this is, you know, this is a little bit ago, but I found myself just, I would watch that, and then, and then I would go to our, our church meeting. I'd go to our church meeting in the evening. We have, we have a couple in Austin. I'd go to our church meeting in the evening, and, I, and I'd find, wow, I, I just don't want to be here right now. I see everybody singing and enjoying, and whoa. Man, they're like lights on, and I feel absolutely nothing. What, what, what's wrong? They, they seem to be having a good time, but I'm not. And then it dawned on me, <laughs> I need to keep my heart. I need to keep my heart. If, if, I'll, if I'll do a little guarding, if I'll do a little guarding, a little, a little keeping, then actually I might find myself... I'm in the joy of all joys. It's like everybody else that I, that I see in this meeting, singing and enjoying Christ. I need to keep my heart so that I can have the deepest delight. If we do this, the result is Matthew 5.8. Let's read it together. Ready, go. Pure in heart means single in purpose. Pure in heart means single in purpose, thinking about Christ, loving Christ, wanting Christ, conscience cleared by the blood of Christ. Single in purpose, that kind of heart sees God. And I hope you realize how easy it is now, how easy it is for Satan to distract us. If I can just insert, oh, Satan would just insert a little thought, just a little thought, and let me grab your attention, and let me pull your emotions with it. Emotions, come with me. I've got something for you to feel real strongly about. Will, I want you to follow. I've got your thoughts. Those emotions come. Now your will comes. I want you to decide to do something. And eventually your body comes with me too. Satan can easily distract us. So, here's where the rubber meets the road. What does a vision from God's Word practically compel us to do? What does seeing God's eternal purpose um, constrain us to do with our lives? What's, what's the practical outworking look like? It looks like Roman numeral 3 and 4. Let's read Roman numeral 3 together. Ready, go. Everybody say, without delay. Without delay. Without delay. Without delay. The reason that's inserted there is because the best time for you to develop and build up your inner life Really, it was like years ago. Um, the second best time was like yesterday or right now. The worst time is like somewhere in the future. You know what? I'm really busy right now. I'm, I'm a college student, and I'm really busy. I'm so busy that, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm really busy, okay? 
So, I'm going to wait for this whole like Bible reading thing, Jesus time thing. I mean, that's good. I'm going to wait till things settle down. I'm going to wait till I go ahead and get my full-time job. I'm going to wait until I get a spouse and two kids. And I'm going to get my mortgage going and, and two car payments. And then, then I think we'll, we'll start working on this, this Jesus, uh, you know, kind of inner life stuff. When things slow down and I get less busy. Everybody shake your head like this. That ain't going to happen, okay? The best time for you to start is right now, okay? Let's read point one under Roman numeral three. Ready, go. Try it again. Would you like God to let you in on a great secret? Okay, good, good. A lot more response on that one. Okay, Philippians 4.11. I have learned in whatever circumstances I am to be content. How about that? Would you, would you just stop and pause and receive the magnitude of this statement? I have learned in whatever circumstances I am to be content. Even when there's really slow Wi-Fi. Even when there's slow Wi-Fi, my phone died. I was rocking the caseless brand new iPhone and it dropped and shattered in a million pieces. I got an F on the test I studied really hard for. I've learned in whatever circumstances I am to be content. Think about that. Would you like to be content? In whatever circumstances? Okay, let us in. Let us in, Apostle Paul. Tell us what's going on here. Verse 12, I have learned the secret. Underline that. I have learned the secret both to be filled and to hunger. Let me ask you this. Why does he include that? Both to be filled and to hunger. Isn't that kind of included in whatever circumstances I am? Why does he include that? Probably because he endured hunger. He's in Roman prison where they don't give you food. They don't give you food. Yeah, you're going to be in prison here how long? Not sure. But you ain't getting no food while you're here. So... I hope you got some buddies that'll bring you something to eat, lest you starve while you're here. Paul is in a Roman prison where he gets no daily food, and he says, I've learned the secret. I've learned the secret to be content. Yep, there's no Wi-Fi here. There's no charger here. Guess what? There's no food here either. There's no physical food but I've learned the secret to be content. What's that? What's the secret? Verse 13. Let's read it together. Ready, go. All things in Him. Say that. All things in Him. All things in Him. This is a popular score touchdown verse. Um, I know because I've misapplied it myself, okay? You know what? All things we can go down here and score this last touchdown in the fourth quarter. Praise the Lord. Okay? I've, I've, been, I've been that guy, okay? Been there, done that, okay? What Paul is saying is I can endure all situations and be completely, utterly content. How? In Him. In Him. That's what inner life is. It's being in Him. In all the daily things of our daily life. So to practically live in Him, we need to have a daily habit of contacting Him. To practically live in Him, we need to have a daily habit of contacting Him. Let's read point two. Ready, go. Oh, try again. Good. Now let's read Psalm 5.3. Ready, go. When? When? When is it? You mean there might be like a certain time of the day that maybe biblically even is really good for contacting God? I mean, come on, right? God's available at all times, yes. I mean, you know, the morning, lunchtime, 3 a.m. is morning, right? I mean, when is it? I want you to catch what this psalmist is saying. Oh, Jehovah, in the morning you will hear my voice. 
Seeing God's eternal purpose and where we fit in God's eternal purpose, it causes you to do radical things like set your alarm for 10 minutes earlier than you usually would. Huh? How about that? It causes you to do radical things like just push that alarm back like 10 minutes. It causes you to do certain things in the morning. On the other side of your alarm waits the joy of all joys. Just on the other side of your alarm waits the deepest of delights, the most profound of pleasures. Jesus himself. Jesus is better. I, you know, I just, I'm going to let you in on a little, you know, this is just a little personal testimony here. I, I, you know, I like my mattress just as much as the rest of you guys. You, you like your mattress? You like laying on that thing? Sometimes hard to shake it off, right? Hard to shake off that mattress. Uh, sometimes it's good to just say, Lord Jesus, I love you more than my mattress. I love you more than my mattress. I love you more than 10 minutes of extra sleep. Psalm 84.10 says, One day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. One day, one 24-hour period is better in your courts, is better than a thousand 24-hour periods elsewhere. So, let's take that ratio, one is greater than a thousand, and let's apply that to ten minutes. Ten minutes with Jesus in the morning is better than how many hours of extra sleep in bed? It's 166 hours! minutes with Jesus is better than you getting 166 extra hours of sleep every night. Don't take my word for it. Take the Bible's word, okay? <laughs> oh, Jehovah, in the morning, you will. Underline, you will. You will. This is a decision this psalmist has made. Jehovah, tomorrow morning, you will hear my voice. It's not a promise. Oh, Lord, I promise every day for the rest of my life I'm going to wake up at this time and I'm going to be Superman. And it's not that, but it's a decision. It's a decision. Oh, Jehovah, in the morning, you will hear my voice. I like this kind of spirit. Jehovah, you will hear my voice. And also, just a little practical um, fellowship here. It's good, it's good to actually, actually let him hear your voice out loud. Out loud. You will, what, hear my voice, meaning it's audible. The first, um, after I got saved, I met the Lord, I met Christ. I didn't know how in the world to spend time with Jesus. I mean, that, I don't feel like that came encoded in my DNA. I just, I didn't know what I was doing. So, I learned from my buddy, who was, you know, also had no idea what he was doing. But he, he you know, he was a little further on than me. So I'm a student. I've got no clue what I'm doing. He's a student. He's got no clue what he's doing. And he just tells me, okay, bro, we're going to sit here and we're going to be silent for the next 20 minutes. And I kind of, I kind of peeked at him, okay, he's still kind of, okay. Eventually I said, man, I don't think I've got anything more else to pray about. I don't, I, I just, I think I've thought all my thoughts. He said, no, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Keep going. So we were silent and we grimaced for 20 minutes. Okay, that was so discouraging, I never, I, I, I didn't do it again for a long time, okay? <laughs> I was like, okay, man, I think this like morning time with Jesus stuff is just not for me. I just can't do that. I can't be silent for 20 minutes and just kind of think thoughts, you know? So, oh, Jehovah, in the morning, you'll hear my voice. Yeah. Just, just say something out loud to God. Actually, in order to build up this habit of daily contacting the Lord, it helps to have a few essentials, okay? A few essentials. Let's read point number three together. Ready, go. And the essentials are this. His blood. Say that. His blood. His blood. Number two is his word. And number three is his name. His blood, His word, His name. Just a few essentials. Keep it simple, okay? Just a few essentials. Let's read 1 John 1, 9 together. Ready, go. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
If we confess, He forgives. If we confess, He forgives. One time when I was in college, I had a, a big, big boo-boo, big sin. I did it again. The one I promised the Lord 20 some odd times. Lord, I'm never going to do it again. I promise you, I'm going to be a good, I'm going to be a good boy. I'm going to do it. I'm going to man up here, and I'm never going to commit this sin again. I did it again. Because I'm a sinner. And I have a sin nature. And you know what? I did it in the morning. I did it on Saturday morning. We had our, our club meetings, our all-together club meetings on Saturday nights back then. And I was just, oh man, I ruined my whole day. I'm not going to the meeting tonight. You know what? I just need some, I just need some time. I just need some time away from God. You know what? I've done it again. I blew it again. I did what I, what I said I'd never do. I just, need to, I just need some time away from God. Maybe, you know, a little time and he'll, he'll be happy with me again eventually. Eventually. I just need some distance. I'm going to punish myself. And I'm not, not going to go to the meeting tonight. Because I don't deserve that. I don't deserve that. I deserve to be really sad. That's what I deserve. So, what happened was I was texting. I got a little text message from uh, the full-timer, the serving one I was meeting with and having appointments with. He said, hey, man, I'll see you tonight. I was like, no, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go. I just need some time. I need some time away from God. I'm just, I'm not going to go. He's like, whoa, where, where's you not going? You got something going on? I was like, no, I just, you know, just not going to be there. I just I need some time. He's like, could I come visit you? And I was like, oh, ah. Okay, 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 sure, sure, won't you come? He came, and then we had just a little fellowship on the precious blood of Christ. Precious blood. Precious blood. Brothers and sisters, I got released. I got released. I came to the meeting, and I enjoyed the Lord a whole lot. Because I got released from my sins. When you spend time, when you spend time with the Lord, make sure you bring your sins. And confess all of them. You just bring them with you. Don't let them keep you from coming to the Lord. You bring them with you. You confess them. You take His blood, you're going to get released. You're going to enjoy the Lord. Jesus is better than feeling really, really bad about yourself. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than punishing yourself. He died so that we could employ the blood of Christ. Don't, don't, you think that's worth, don't you think that's worth using? Okay, let's read Jeremiah 15, 16 together. Ready, go. Your words were found. Notice he doesn't say, Oh, my phone was found. Oh, oh. Oh, my phone was found. Yes. Oh, in thy notifications, I ate them. Oh, mm. ah. Oh, phone, so good. I found you. You were right there under my bed all night. You were under my pillow. I always put you right there. I found you. Oh, so good to me. Oh, your notifications became the gladness and joy of my heart. Oh. How often do you experience that? Wah, wah, never. But what's the tendency, the first thing we want to go to? Your words were found. And I ate them. When you spend time with the Lord, bring your Bible. Bring your Bible. I, I would encourage you to, oh my goodness, actually bring one that's in print. You don't have to charge it, okay? You don't have to charge it. It's never going to interrupt you. It's never going to interrupt you. Hey, I've got a video for you to watch. Hey, hey, somebody just sent you an important message about a, a cat gif that you need to see. Um, that doesn't happen on your physical Bible, okay? When you spend time with the Lord, bring your Bible. Your words were found, and I what? I ate them. You know, when you read God's Word, the Lord will just highlight phrases and sentences and what you need to do with that is digest them with prayer. Eat them up with prayer. Pray over those words. 
If you do that, the Word's going to become something to you. When's the last time God's Word became something to you? This is experiential. If you eat, if you find and eat God's Word, it becomes the gladness and joy of your heart. Jeremiah here, he knew where to go for gladness and joy of heart. Just like food is full of energy for our body. Just like food is full of energy for our body, God's Word is full of joy for our spirit and soul. You just have to learn how to make the conversion. You have to learn how to eat God's Word. Bring your sins, bring your Bible. Romans 10, 12, and 13. Let's read it together. Ready, go. Oh, try again. Romans 10, 12, and 13. Let's read it together. Ready, go. Is God rich to you? Yes. Not, not is God rich. We know God's rich. Is God rich to you? Is God rich to you? He's rich to those who call on His name. This word in Greek is epikalio, meaning out loud. Have your mind renewed for what desperate prayer sounds like. You want God? Do you want God? Do you want God to be rich to you? Yeah. He's rich to those who call out loud on His name. I don't know what your prayer time sounds like, but a lot of times mine's kind of like this. Oh, Lord, let me, uh, yes, I love you, and uh, hmm, what do I need to do today? <laughs> Think about the, the things. Oh, oh, I'm supposed to be praying right now. <laughs> Lord, I'm, I'm back. Um, <laughs> You ever experienced that? Yeah. Oh, and then, uh, well, I'm, I'm really tired right now. <laughs> oh. Do you want God to be rich to you? You need to learn to call on His name. You need to learn to call on His name. Say, Oh, Lord. That's pretty good. Try it again. Oh Lord! Oh Lord! Oh Lord! Oh Jesus! Lord, I need you! Lord, I'm here again! Lord, be rich to me! Jesus, I love you! That feel good? We need to bring our sins, we need to bring our Bible, and we need to bring our spirit. If we learn to call on His name, God will be rich to us. Yeah. Brothers, do you want that? I just repent. I repent for so many years. I'm not calling on the name of the Lord. I just repent. What else does a vision from God's Word compel us to do? Develop and build up our inner life. And it also causes us to consecrate our being to Him while we're young. Let's read point four together. Ready, go. Okay, consecration may be a new word for you. Consecration is a biblical word used in Leviticus, and it was used in reference to the priests. Okay, they were consecrated to serve God. It literally means the filling of hands. It literally means the filling of hands. And, and what that looked like was the priests presenting themselves to the Lord, all that I am, all that I have, all I can do is yours. All that I am, all that I have, and all I can do is yours. I'm yours. I'm not my own. Every part of me belongs to you. I'm here for your intentions. I'm here for your actions, your service. I'm not my own. I'm yours. Consecration is to hand ourselves over to the Lord. It's to present our bodies. Nothing's more practical than presenting your body. It's to hand ourselves over completely to the Lord. Now, if you're like me, that may sound a little scary. Does that sound scary to you? 
Everything? You mean what I watch? What I listen to? Where I go? Who I'm with? My future? Everything? I mean, I had some dreams and plans. There's a lie. There's a lie in the universe that, I'll just tell you, it's robbed me of the joy of all joys, the deepest delight, and the most profound pleasures in the universe. I've been robbed because most of my life I believed a lie. And that lie is this. Chris, the more you hand yourself over to the Lord, just be careful. Don't be too much. The more you hand yourself over, the less fun you're going to have. The more you hand yourself over, the less fun you're going to have. You know what? You're going to go through a lot of pain and suffering. You're going to go through a lot of pain and suffering. You're not going to have that much fun. You're going to be boring. You're going to be boring. You hand your music over to the Lord, what are you going to listen to? I mean, you're not going to listen to any of the songs that are out today. You hand, your, you hand what you watch over to the Lord, what are you going to do? Are you going to read books all day? You're going to be boring. You're going to be boring. And I'll tell you what else. You're going to become a uh, kind of a spiritual religious weirdo. <laughs> don't be too much. Don't, you know, it's okay. It's okay to do some of the Jesus stuff, but don't be too much. Don't be a weirdo. That lie, that lie has robbed me, and I think has robbed a lot of us, of the greatest, highest, deepest, Joy and pleasure in the universe. I want to I wanna, I put a math equation out there for you. Consecration equals jubilation. Consecration equals jubilation. Meaning the more you hand over, the more you present yourself to the Lord, the more joy and delight you have. That's the fact. Satan's robbed us of that for most of, our, most of our lives. But the fact is, the more we hand over, the more joy we have. Amen. I want to tell you a testimony. I was in a locker room one time, and I had just gotten saved. And you know what? I consecrated a few simple things to the Lord. Like, you know what, Lord? I'm not going to go downtown. Big Street, I'm just not going to be there. For those of you who don't know, that's a place you don't want to be, okay? I'm not going to go to 6th Street, and, and I, I'm, I'm not going to drink a spirit. I'm going to drink the spirit, okay? I'm not going to go there, and I'm not going to do that. And then, and then one, of our, one, of our, uh, one of the guys on our team said, man, you, you're just not going to do it at all? I just, <laughs> I mean, that's okay, man, but I, I, wish you had, I wish you could have had a little bit of fun in college had a little bit of fun. I didn't really know what to say at the time. I'm pretty, I mean, I, I know I gave him a lame-o answer. But what I tell him now is, I'm having a better time than you! I'm having a better time than you! I'm not going there with you. That's lame. That's trash. Why don't you come with me? We got this thing called home meetings that I'd like to introduce you to. I want you to come with me. You don't know what you're missing out on. I've got the joy of all joys. I've got the highest of delights. I'm not being distracted with secondary satisfactions and lesser delights. I've got the most profound pleasure in the universe. I'm not being distracted with that anymore. That's what I tell them now. Okay, let's get into these verses. A satisfying sacrifice. This is a mutually satisfying sacrifice. Let's read Romans 12, 1 together. Ready, go. Through the compassions of God, what Paul means there is everything he's written in the book of Romans thus far. All that God has done for us. Through His compassions, He exhorts us to present our bodies. Present our bodies. That means I'm not in charge, you're in charge. My body's not my own, it's yours. 
I belong to you. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Circle that. Well-pleasing to God. We present our bodies to God, and it's well-pleasing to Him. It's well-pleasing to Him. This is our reasonable service. It's the highest logic. It makes the most sense in the whole universe. Nothing could be more sensible. So this kind of thing is well-pleasing to God. Psalm 1611 tells us it's well-pleasing to us. Let's read Psalm 1611 together. Ready, go. Let me ask you a question. What happens when you present your body, all that you are, all that you have, and all that you can do? What happens when you present your body to God in whose presence is fullness of joy? What's your experience? When you present your body to God in whose presence is fullness of joy, you like a little joy or a lot of joy? Okay, I don't like a lot. I like fullness of joy. You present your body to God in whose presence is fullness of joy. Your experience is fullness of joy. My body to God in his presence, fullness of joy. At his right hand, where Christ is, pleasures forever. You like forever pleasures? Consecration. You like forever pleasures? Christ. There's something that comes in the way, though. There's an enemy in the universe, and he'd like to use anything he can to distract us from mutual satisfaction of God and man. Let's read point two together. Ready, go. Are you aware that you're under a relentless onslaught? Some of us are, some of us aren't. Just think about this. How many times have you looked at your phone since this meeting started? You don't have to answer. You don't have to answer. But just think about it. How many times have you looked at your phone since this meeting started? If you haven't, blessed are you. <laughs> We're under a relentless onslaught. Hey, look at this. Hey, look at this. I've got something to, t to talk to you about. There's a new video. There's a new email. You've got a message. Hey, just anything. Why don't you talk to me? I've got something really good for you. Give me your attention. Continually. Every day. That's why the average young person in America spends nine hours per day on a screen. Nine hours. Why? Because they're under an onslaught. We're under an onslaught. This, this verse, 2 Timothy 4.10 it says, Demas has abandoned me. Demas abandoned Paul. Why? Because he loved the present age. Just my guess. I don't know. But I don't think Demas just, I'm out of this. I don't want this anymore. I think probably what happened is first the mind, the thoughts came. You know, I've got a really good business opportunity. And then the emotions came. You know what? This is going to be really good for me. I like this place. Then the will came. Mm, I think I'm done with this. And then the body followed. Paul, I'm out of here. Not for anything bad. Not for anything bad. But, but for something good. I'm out of here. This is, this is how the present age works on us. If we overcome, we remain clear, and we thoroughly consecrate our being to the Lord, what we become is a fragrant testimony the Lord deems worthy of remembering. That the Lord deems worthy of remembering. Let's read uh, point three together. Ready, go. Okay, I've got to wrap up. So I'm just going to tell you what happens. Um, a woman comes. Jesus is about to die. He's about to be crucified. She's the only one who actually sees that Jesus is about to be crucified. He's told the disciples several times, audibly, out loud, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised. I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised. Mary's the only one who sees it. The other disciples, they don't get it. They hear that and they say, 
Could I sit on the right or on the left in your kingdom? <laughs> Seriously. They hear it, they don't see it. And what she does, she realizes the urgency of the situation. Jesus is going to die. I, he's departing. Um, what can I do? Uh, I'm going to take the most valuable thing I have and break it and pour it on him. I'm going to take the most valuable possession I have. What, what do I have? What's, uh, what's precious to me? I'm going to take that, I'm going to break it, and I'm going to pour it all on Christ. That's what she decides to do. And when she does that, the disciples are indignant. Meaning, they're, they're upset. They're in agony. Actually, the Greek word is agonakteo, meaning agony within. They're in agony. Why would you waste something so precious on Christ? You don't believe me, read the verses. You don't believe me, read the verses. I'll read it to you. It's verse 8. When the disciples saw it, not the Pharisees, not the atheists, when the disciples saw it, they were indignant saying, Woman, why this waste? Why this waste? Don't you know that that was worth a lot of money? That was worth a lot of money and something good could have been done with that. You could have done something good with that money. You wasted it on Jesus. Do you think the disciples were a little preoccupied with him? Do you think maybe their attention and their focus was on something other than Christ? That's why they didn't see. Jesus says in verse 10, Why do you trouble this woman? She's done a noble deed to me. For the poor you have with you always, but you do not always have me. You don't always have me. I'm departing. You don't always have me. Verse 12, For in pouring out this ointment on my body, she has done it for my burial. You know, there were some sisters a few days later who came to anoint the Lord's body, and it was too late. He had already resurrected. This woman was the only, she was the only one who got to anoint his body for his burial. She saw, and so thus she did something really practical that seemed out of, out of her mind, seemed over the top. Why would you waste this on Jesus? You could have done something good with that. You could have given it to the poor. She did something that seemed over the top. Actually, to her and Christ, it was the most reasonable thing that she could have done. Because he's the greatest treasure and pleasure in the universe. There's nothing more reasonable. Nothing. And so, Jesus says this, verse 13. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what this woman has done shall also be told as a memorial of her. Brothers, disciples, apostles, the ones who are about to be sent to all the nations... I want you to remember what this woman's done. Wherever you preach the gospel, you're going to tell her story too. You better remember it. The story of the gospel is that God so loved man. The story of this woman is that she so loved the Lord. And what Jesus says is, this is going to be told as a memorial of her. Memorial. You know, you would think it's a memorial of the action. Wouldn't you think that? Yeah. It's a memorial of the action, what she did. That's not what Jesus says. This is going to be told as a memorial of her, meaning remember her. This life was full of worth. Amen. This woman, what she has done, remember it for all of eternity. I deem her life worth remembering. Pay attention. I want you to look at what she's done. She poured out what was most precious to her on me. That is worth remembering. Write it down in the history books. You like to have this kind of life? That God deems worthy of remembering? All you have to do is see. If you see, you'll be compelled to do certain things. One of those is 
give all you have, all you are, and all you can do to Christ. It's the most logical thing that you could ever do. And what you'll receive in return is the joy of all joys, the deepest delight, and the most profound pleasure. What's the most valuable thing you have? For you, it's your youth. It's your future. That's why the point is consecrating your whole being while you're young. It's in your youth. It's my future. Lord, everything that's ahead of me, I pour it out on you. Whatever you want, I'm yours. You're the best. Jesus is better. You're better than my dreams. You're better than my hopes. You're better than anything I could ever imagine. I want you. You're precious to me. I've seen you. You've gripped me. You've compelled me. I poured out all on you. You're worth it. I love you so much. You're the best. Jesus is better. It's not just something that I say, but my life testifies it. Jesus is better. How about this, brothers and sisters? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to overflow in our groups, okay? I'm going to pray, and then we'll fellowship. You stand up, talk with one another, prophesy, speak what the Lord has spoken to you. And then after that, we'll open the time, and we'll bring the mics up here, and we'll open up for public testimonies, okay? Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Lord, we love you and we bless you. Lord, come and give yourself to us again. Lord, give us yourself. Lord, we give our all to you in response. You're so precious to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.